Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening, as always. Hope you'll listen every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire, where we allow people to call in with their questions, comments, even if they want to try to um, dispute what I say in those cases. And in every case, we let the Bible be the standard. It tells us what's right because passages like John 17, 17 say this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God is the truth. So it should settle all issues. All religious issues are settled by the Bible. Phil from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, Patrick. In previous programs, you've stated that police officers and soldiers will be going to hell if they take another's life in the line of duty. And I I would like to say I completely disagree with that, but here's my question. A mother that takes the life of her unborn child, will she be disqualified from heaven? And I I do have a follow-up question, too, if you don't mind. (laughs) Well, the Bible teaches in many places, like Revelation 21, verse 8, It says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so the Bible teaches that murderers will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, just like any of these other sins. So unless a person repents and is forgiven for a murder, he will not be saved. And when a mother aborts her baby, she's committing murder. So unless she repents of that, she will not be saved. But if she does repent, and if she's forgiven, like, for example, Acts 2.38 says, Peter told those on the days of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So, A person can repent and be baptized for the remission of sins and they can receive forgiveness for their sins and still be saved. But abortion is murder and Revelation 21.8 many other New Testament passages condemn that. Phil, I'm ready for your follow-up question. Partner? I do have a follow-up question. I I just want to make sure I understood one thing that you said. Uh, So you're saying anyone that commits anyone that takes another life or commits murder can be forgiven. Yes, they can. They can be forgiven if they repent. Anybody that repents and is baptized will receive the remission of sins, Acts 2.38 says. Was that your follow-up question? No, I do. Um, I, I think I've misunderstood you in the past. I, I thought that in the past you said that anyone... Anyone that takes another another life will be disqualified from heaven. So I, I'm glad you cleared that up. Thank you for your call, Phil. They are disqualified from heaven unless they get forgiveness. There's only one sin that a person can't be forgiven of, even if they repent, and that's the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Everybody, I think, knows that. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Any other sin can be forgiven, including murder, Stealing, rape, even homosexuality can be forgiven if one repents. Again, Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized 
for the remission of sins. So if a person's willing to repent and be baptized, he can get the remission of sins. Now, I mentioned about homosexuality because I thought I'd try to talk about the subject we tried to talk about last week, but we had so many calls, and of course I want to let the calls have the priority. But I think a lot of people in my listening audience realized that about a week or two ago, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church leadership, proposed that the Methodist Church split into two different denominations and that the United Methodist Church, unless you chose to leave the United Methodist Church, then you were going to, the United Methodist Church was going to accept gay clergy, going to accept uh, gay marriage. And so that's what they decided to do. The article that we're reading from goes on to say that many mainline denominations, including the Episcopal Church, Presbyterian Church, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, United Church of Christ, and others, already perform same-sex marriages and appoint gay clergy. So many denominations are starting to do exactly what the Methodist United Methodist Church is proposing that they do. Leave their traditional opposition to homosexuality and start accepting gay preachers and gay marriage. These other churches that I just listed have already done that, and the United Methodist Church is proposing that they do the same thing. We'll take this call very quickly and try to get back to our subject. Larry from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, the gentleman just mentioned that you had said something about soldiers, and you didn't uh, acknowledge or deny that statement. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, last week, uh, I believe uh, Phil called in, and we talked about, he asked about soldiers, and Matthew, and I mentioned in Matthew 5, for example... Verse 43 and following, Jesus said, You have heard that it have been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And we could read on, but this is enough to see that it's always wrong to kill. You can't go out and kill your enemies. Instead, we have to love them. And so a soldier is trained to kill the enemy, and he wouldn't be effective if he didn't do that. So a Christian shouldn't be a soldier because a Christian is told to love his enemy, not hate his enemy. And I mentioned last week, picture Jesus Christ if he were living today. Would he join the military and go around trying to defend and shoot the enemy? Or would he be an advocate of loving his enemy? That's basically what I said last week, Larry. Did you have anything else you'd like to say about that? Well, in in Romans 13, it talks about uh, the laws and it says that the authorities carry not the sword in vain or, you know. Exactly. That's a very good point. Romans 13 does say that. And, and let's notice what it says in that connection. In Romans 12, right before Romans 13, it says, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. And if he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And then it goes on to say to let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Because the higher powers is, verse 4, he's a minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, uh, be afraid. But he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so we take this together.
forget the chapter division, the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13, we see that the Christian is not the one to take vengeance. He's to allow the government to do that. Do you see that? Clearly, Romans 12 says the Christian is not to take vengeance, but let God do it. Chapter 13 says God will do it through the government. So that goes along with what I said about Matthew 5, 43 and following, that the Christian is is not only to love his neighbor, but to love his enemy. He's not to kill his enemy. And again, can you picture Jesus going around with a gun, shooting and killing people and dropping bombs on people? Of course not. And we should be an emulate. We should emulate Jesus. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. That number again is eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. If you have a Bible question or comment. So we're talking about the United Methodist Church, their leadership proposing that the denomination split and that the main part of the United Methodist Church now is going to accept gay preachers, as they call it, gay clergy. They're going to accept gay marriages. What does the Bible have to say about that? What about Romans 1, 24, 26 through 27? It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was made. The Bible is very clear. Old Testament and New Testament. And there are many passages that teach this. Romans 1 just a good example. Verse 26 is talking about what we call lesbians and is condemning it severely. Verse 27 of Romans 1 is, is talking about what we call gay men and it condemns it severely. We see this also in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through 10. Another place, <clears throat> like I read from Revelation 21 verse 8 a while ago, that list has a list of sins. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So here we have a list of sins. People who commit such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be saved. And and the Bible lists homosexuals and sodomites as, as, as people who will not be saved. The homosexual here is the, is the one in the male homosexual relationship that tries to act like a sissy. He takes the feminine role. We all know that. That's the stereotype. The sodomite, then, is the one in the homosexual, the male homosexual relationship who takes the male role. He abuses the other person. And so it says both of these type of gay men will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be saved. Now let me ask you this question. Did the church have the right, the United Methodist Church, did they have the right to vote to allow gay marriage in gay preachers? Did they have that right? Well, what does Second John 9 say? Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And so, here we have the United Methodist Church voting to allow gay marriage, voting to allow gay preachers. 
They're obviously not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ. We just told you what the teaching of Christ was on that subject. They're not abiding in the teaching of Christ. They don't have the right to a vote to allow gay marriage and gay preachers. A church doesn't have a right to change away from what the Bible teaches. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question is 877-655-6755. What about people, the people, the believers, people who claim to be Christians, the people who claim to be Christians who stand with gays and say that the gays are going to be saved even if they don't change their ways. Well, how about the next two verses in Second John? <clears throat> if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So verse 9 of Second John is saying that we must abide in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ. That tells us that homosexuals, since they don't abide in the teaching of Christ, they're not going to be saved unless they repent. If they repent, they can be forgiven. That says that churches like the United Methodist Church that go and the Episcopal Church and the Presbyterian Church USA that go along with the gays and say they're going to allow gay marriage and allow gay preachers, that they're not abiding in the teaching of Christ. They don't have God. They can't be saved. And anybody that goes along with this teaching whether you're in that church or not in that church. It says, if you bid God's speed to a person who's not abiding in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, you are a partaker in his evil deeds. You might ask yourself this question. Are you going along with this sin? Are you part of a church that allows gay marriage or allows gay clergy, gay preachers? Well, how would Second John verses 9 through 11 apply to you? It says we have to abide in the teaching of Christ. It says that we're not to bid Godspeed to those who are not abiding in the teaching of Christ. And if you do, you become a partaker in their evil deeds. So if you're part of a congregation like this that's voting, either in the last few years or in the near future, to allow gay preachers and, and gay marriage, and you go along with that, you stay in a church like that and don't object to it and try to get them to change, then you are bidding them Godspeed. You become a partaker in their evil deeds. You're going to be lost just like they are, even though you're not committing the sin directly yourself. You're going along with their sin. You become a partaker in their evil deeds. Another question. Does the church, like we read about, that votes to allow gay marriage even have a right to exist in the first place? How can a church that would vote to allow gay marriage, to allow gay preachers, how do they have a right to exist in the first place? A denomination like that. Well, First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So the elders, the leaders of the congregation, are only are supposed to take the oversight of those among them. So elders only have, have oversight of a local congregation. 
there never in the Bible is there authority for men to take oversight of more than one congregation. And that's what you have in the United Methodist Church. Men taking the oversight of all these congregations. There, that's in violation of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 to start with. Ray from Canada, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Ray, you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. Go uh, ahead, your Bible question or comment, radio. please. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, may have I, to turn that down. There's probably a delay there. No, it, it, it's down. It's down. Okay. Um, the question is, um, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? In Matthew 12, 31 and 32, Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a, a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven unto him. But whosoever speaketh mm-hmm. against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now what was going on in this context, in Matthew 12, is Jesus performs a miracle by the power of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And they and they agree and admit that the miracle occurred, but say it was done by the power of Satan. Okay. So today, if somebody were to uh, read about a miracle that occurred in the New Testament, somebody were to read about and understand and agree and admit, believe in their heart that that miracle really occurred, that miracle that they see and read about in the New Testament, but say... Instead of that miracle being performed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was performed by mm-hmm. the power of the devil. That would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and a person can't be and forgiven of that sin. That's right. Okay, so so that means that um, they're basically saying like the 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 Pharisees or whatever they were like back then were saying that Christ was doing works of the devil. Right when he did miracles, in, a, in effect, in effect that the yeah. that the devil so was the power be behind the miraculous that. cannot be forgiven. Right. Any other sin, yeah. it says, all manner of sin shall be forgiven, except right. the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the only sin that can't be forgiven. So murder, homosexuality, right. any of those sins can be forgiven as long as one is right. willing to repent. Right, Ray? Right. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. Got got any other follow up, Ray? Um. No, I just wanted to confirm that because I didn't quite understand that. And somebody else told me, like a, he was a minister, told me that that's what it meant. But I thought, you know, I thought what it meant was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit meant that you didn't believe. And no, if you didn't don't say believe, that. you can't believe. Yeah, yeah, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, and I was correct. You know, Ray, you can even be forgiven for the sin of unbelief. But what would you have to do to be forgiven for the sin of unbelief? You'd have to repent and and believe. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And John 3.16, the the most famous verse in the Bible would cover that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if a person is an unbeliever and switches to belief, he's going to be saved. Ray, I tell you Mm -hmm. what I want you to do. Don't take my word for it, but go back when you have time and read, say, Matthew 12.20. 5 through 32 and see if I'm not correct about what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. Okay, I I, I believe you're right. Um, now, that was Matthew 5? Matthew, Matthew 12, 25 through 32. Well, 25 through 32. Okay, okay. Thank Matthew you, Ray. 12. Okay. 25 right. through 32. 
Eric from Anybody? Alabama, go yeah. ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, yeah. My question is uh, a lot of the churches seem to want to just, you know, confess that Jesus is God. And when I read my Bible, it seems to be just the opposite of what God says. And I'm just concerned, is, is this a trend or is it something that, to me, you know, when God says it's my beloved son, I believe it. When Paul was uh, saved, the first thing he preached was the Son of God. When the uh, uh, Peter confessed who he was, he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I thought that Jesus had founded that, you know, church of that belief and that the gates of hell couldn't come against it. And I just, I'm kind of like, just want to make sure that I believe God and not what these churches are wanting to preach. Um, you know what I'm talking Erica. about? Appreciate your call. You know, I was thinking of John 1 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word Mm -hmm. was God. If you keep reading verse 14, it says, The Word was made flesh. And we're talking about Jesus there. So, John 1 1 says, Jesus, the Word, was with God, and Jesus, the Word, was God. So, both God the Father and God the Son are divine, they're not the same person. They're divine. You remember when Thomas finally got to touch the nail prints in Jesus' right. hands? He said in, in John twenty twenty eight. it says, And Thomas answered and said unto him, unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. Now, Lord doesn't necessarily mean God. It just means right. ultimate boss, master. But right. Thomas, of course, correctly calls Jesus God in John 20, verse 28. Doesn't right. mean he's God the Father. He, right. he is, as we normally say, God the Son. Yeah. Any follow-up, Eric? Well, I just, you know, when I look at John's uh, epistle, it says, Who is it that overcometh this world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And to me, I think that's a commandment that we must believe God's Word, and you can't change God's Word. And, you know, who's a liar but he that denieth the Son? I believe there's one God, as Jesus proclaimed. He said, Behold Israel, there's one God, and that's his Eric, Father. You know? Eric, I'm have to let you go, okay? Okay. okay. Thank you for your call. And so we've shown a couple of passages that prove indisputably that Jesus is also God. He's also divine. He's just not God the Father. So let's go back to the part of the the quote I quoted uh, from last week about the United Methodist Church. It says, quote, The remainder of the denomination to permit same-sex marriage in LGBT clergy for the first time in its history... So the United Methodist Church, if this proposal goes through, and I'm I'm very confident it will, they're going to start permitting same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in their history, gay preachers. Now let me ask you this question. Does it sound like the United Methodist Church is still using the Bible as their guidebook in religion? Shouldn't we use the Bible as our guidebook in religion? Shouldn't churches, congregations use the Bible as their guidebook in religion? Does it sound like the United Methodist Church is still using the Bible as their guidebook? It doesn't to me, because if the Bible is their guidebook, then they would clearly say that the Bible condemns homosexuality. They wouldn't allow gay marriage. They wouldn't allow gay preachers. But they're going away from that. That's what they used to believe, but they're going away from that. Perhaps, at least on this point, they used to use the Bible as their guidebook. But now, even on this point, they're not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. 
But what does the following passage say about churches and individuals who are not using the Bible as their guidebook? John 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the United Methodist Church is not continuing in Jesus' word, therefore they're not truly a disciple, and they're not going to be made free by the truth, free from their sin, because they're not continuing in Jesus' word. Now, are you part of a church like this that's not using the Bible as your guidebook anymore? You become a partaker in their evil deeds if you do. Let me give you my number. If you would like that one-hour phone Bible study, you call or text me at 256-682-9753. If you would like to study the Bible with me by phone for one hour, free of charge, of course, call or text me at 256-682-9753.